Good morning, Prodigal. We're so glad you're here with us this morning. Today we're going to be starting a new sermon series called John 3.16. We're excited to get a fresh new look at one of the most popular verses in the Bible. Super Sunday is right around the corner on February 12th, Super Bowl Sunday. Mark your calendars. We're going to have a ton of fun things that Sunday. We'll be having a salsa competition, so if you've got a killer salsa recipe, make sure to sign up after church or send us a message on social media. There's also going to be a taco truck and inflatables for the kids. We can't wait to celebrate Super Bowl Sunday with you. Baptism Sunday is on February 26th. If you are interested in getting baptized or you'd just like more information about what baptism is, you can contact any of our staff or send us an email at prodigalchurchfresno at gmail.com. You've been hearing about Prodigal's Love the World auction coming up on Friday, March 3rd. You can head to our website or app for all the details. There you'll find information on ways to donate, you can sign up to volunteer, and you can purchase your tickets. Make sure you check it out and save the date. We don't do a traditional pass the bucket offering here at Prodigal Church, but if you would like to give, you can head to our website, our app, or you can do so in the foyer on your way out of church today. We are so glad you're here. Happy Sunday, church. Tonight, I want you to turn with me to the most familiar passage in all the Bible. John, the third chapter, the gospel according to John, the third chapter, and the sixth verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Have you heard this verse before? Okay, I love this Bible verse. I used to sign yearbooks with this verse. I used to put this verse on my baseball glove. I used to have a bumper sticker on my truck with this verse on it. And I even put this verse on my high school letterman jacket. Okay, it's a double entendre, right? John is my name, but also 316, the Bible verse. Okay, it is arguably the most famous verse in the entire Bible. How? Why? What does it mean? Over the next three weeks, we're going to look at this one verse, and then we'll look at it again. And at some point, we might be able to begin to grasp its depth and its meaning. And Lord willing, will be different because of it. Did you know that John 3.16 was not the most quoted verse for most of Christian history? It is only within the past 40 to 50 years that John 3.16 has risen to pop culture prominence. In 1977, Roland Stewart was eager to achieve celebrity status, but he hadn't landed any particular skill that could get him there. Uh, he hadn't come up with the idea of John 3.16 kind of yet, but uh, in a, a burst of inspiration, he's like, well, I'm pretty good at wearing this rainbow wig. Maybe there's something there. So he started wearing the wig to every televised sporting event he could attend and hoping to be plastered on the jumbotron and on television screens across the country. And it worked. He bought up all the choice seats in stadiums where cameras wouldn't be able to avoid him. And he developed a series of convulsions that could be mistaken for a dance if you weren't paying attention. That is until the Super Bowl in 1980. Sitting in a motel room after the Super Bowl, he watched a televangelist warn everyone about impending apocalypse, and he immediately knew his true calling. He had to spread the word of God at sporting events. 
and thus he became known among sports fans everywhere as the John 316 guy or the Rainbow Man. He, his wig, and his sign became a fixture at all-star games, championships, races, the Olympics, even Princess Diana's wedding. Networks hated him. They did everything they could to avoid catching him on camera, even altering their game footage just to cut him out of frame. But as we mentioned, he was persistent. He got up all the places where the cameras couldn't avoid him. And if showing up at sports events throughout the world sounds like a full-time job, you don't know the half of it. Throughout the 1980s, Stewart drove more than 50,000 miles to appear at more than 100 games a year. And if you are wondering why you haven't seen the Rainbow Man evangelizing lately at sporting events, it is because he is serving three life sentences at California's Mule Creek State Prison. Roland Stewart, the Rainbow Wig Man, became so well-known within pop culture that the TV show The Simpsons spoofed him. Have you seen the memes? Like, well, if wrestling is fake, explain this then. Okay, here's a couple examples. Now, I never got into WWF wrestling when I was a kid, but I had lots of friends who did. And I understood the appeal, okay? You had these super characters, Hulk Hogan, Randy the Macho Man Savage, Rowdy Roddy Piper, Andre the Giant, and then after my generation, there was a new era of wrestling led by a different kind of wrestler, okay? Stone Cold Steve Austin. He had his own tagline, Austin 316. Obviously a spoof on the famous scripture, and in the 90s, this went viral as good as it could have gone, right? With dial-up internet. And then in the 2000s, there, another pop culture moment was added to the popularity of John 316. In his name, Timothy Richard Tebow. Tim Tebow famously wore John 316 on his eye black. And then in the 2012 divisional playoff game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, Tim Tebow throws a game-winning touchdown in overtime after only completing 10 of his passes. Listen to how he tells the story following the game. He said, it's exactly three years later from the day that you wore John 316 under your eyes. I was like, oh, that's really cool. He said, no, I don't think you realize what happened. During the game, you threw for 316 yards. Your yards per rush were 3.16. Your yards per completion were 31.6. The ratings for the game were 31.6. And the time of possession was 31.6. And during the game, 90 million people had already Googled John 316. It was the number one trending thing on Facebook and Twitter. Pretty crazy story, right? Never mind that while he did throw for 316 yards and averaged 31.6 per pass, his average rush was 5, not 3.16. And it was Pittsburgh that had the ball for 31.06, not the Broncos. And the ratings were 25.9, but the game peaked at 31.6. Now, none of those things mattered. What mattered was the good news was trending. Tim Tebow was spreading the gospel by wearing John 316 under his eyes. And I was spreading the gospel by wearing my Letterman jacket around town. Was I though? What's the logic here, right? For Tebow, that someone is going to see John 316, Google it, read it for the first time, and begin to follow Jesus. Maybe, maybe that happened. What was my motivation in high school? I don't know, I was 16, okay? 
Uh, did I think someone would ask me about it? And then I would quote that verse. And then right then and there, in between algebra and English one, I was going to lead them to Jesus. I was a very zealous Christian. And I was zealous for all things Christian. Did this verse ever lead me to a conversation with someone about the good news of Jesus? No. There is something we get wrong about John 3.16 when it becomes an equation or a soundbite. Verses in the Bible are not clickbait. They're better than that. They're bigger than that. John 3.16 is not a poem for a painting of a sunset. John 3.16 is not an equation. John 3.16 is not a sales pitch. John 3.16 is not a summary of the gospel. It's so much bigger than that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Today we will only have time to look at the first six words. For God so loved the world. The, the tense here, this so, this so, it's, it's, it's in the uh, indicative instead of in the infinitive. And in Greek, that represents the, the intensity of the love. It insists on the consequences of that love, that it really indeed did happen. God so loved the world. It means that God created out of love and that God actively continues to love. God dreamt you up. You are the result of God's love. God imagined you. God brought you into being. Some of you, you may not know your birth parents. Your birth parents may have said that you were in whoopsies or in accident. Uh, you don't know who your birth parents are, but I just want to let you know you are not an accident. God dreamt you up. You are the result of God's love. He imagined you. He brought you into being. You're the result of the overflow of God. Don't forget it. There's a little boy named Tom, and he worked so hard to build a little toy boat, okay? He had spent months working on it, making sure it was exactly how he wanted it. And then the day came for him to finally test the boat, to see if it would sail. And so he carried the boat to the edge of this stream near his house, and he carefully placed it in the water and let out the stream. Tom basked in the warm sunshine, admiring the little boat he had built, until suddenly a strong current caught the boat he tried to pull it back to shore, but the string broke and the little boat raced downstream. Tom ran along the shore to catch it, but his boat slipped out of sight. All afternoon, he searched for it. Finally, when it was too dark, he gave up and went home. A few days later, on his way home from school, Tom spotted a boat just like his in a pawn shop window. And when he got closer, he could see, sure enough, it was his. He knew it. He knew it like the back of his hand. So he hurried to the store manager. Sir, that's my boat in your window. I made it. Sorry, son, but someone you know, brought it in this morning. If you want it, you're going to have to go and buy it back for a dollar. So Tom ran home, crushed his piggy bank, was a little bit short. So he searched all the couch cushions, all the cars, ashtrays. He did whatever he could to find enough money. And finally he did. And he ran back to the store and he said, here's the money for my boat. And as he left the store, Tom hugged his boat and said, now... You're twice mine. First, I made you. Then, I bought you. For God so loved the world. He made you. He bought you. He loves you. It is not 
for God so judged the world. It is not for God was so angry at the world. It is for God so loved the world. Loved. It's the Greek word agape. It is the self-sacrificial love. Whenever in the scriptures it refers to God's love for us, it is always agape. A self-giving love, a self-sacrificial love, a, a love that gives at the expense of self for the benefit of others. Though love is invisible, it is not imperceptible. Okay, think about your favorite novels or movies. When a writer or director wants to show you that love exists between two characters, what is written into the story? I would submit to you that there are three primary ways that they show that love is present. First, love sends. It cannot sit still. Love moves. Love expresses itself in action. You know that love is present because the lover initiates. In the movie The Princess Bride, the beautiful Princess Buttercup declares to her captors, I know my Wesley will come for me. How does she know? Because what they shared was true love. The princess understood that the lover will always move to be with the beloved. Love initiates. Love sparks up conversations. Love breaks into song. Love writes poetry. Love sends letters. Love buys flowers. It crosses oceans. It climbs mountains. I promise you, you will never see a young man after suddenly realizing that he loves a young woman return to playing video games. No, he will rise from that couch and move. Why? Because love initiates, love sends. Secondly, love sacrifices. Love gives all for the sake of the beloved. Jack will freeze to death in the icy waters of the Atlantic in order to save Rose from the sinking Titanic. In Frozen, Anna will throw herself in front of Han's falling sword in order to save her sister, Elsa. Bruno Mars declares that he would catch a grenade for you, throw his hand on a blade for you, he'd jump in front of a train for you. Why does he sing that? Because he knows that we know that true love will sacrifice itself for the beloved. Third, love stays. Love delights in the presence of the beloved. And love will stay even when things are hard. We declare this in our wedding vows, right? I promise to love you for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, in the good and in the bad. Why do we say this? Why is this a part of our covenant? Because we understand that true love willingly commits to stay with the beloved even when things get complicated and difficult. This is why in the movie The Notebook, Noah stays long hours at the nursing home to read to Allie even though she has Alzheimer's disease and can't remember who he is. In 51st States, Adam Sandler's character will continue to romance Drew Barrymore's character every day, even though her short-term memory loss means that she forgets him every single morning and he must start over all over again. True love stays when it is hard. True love stays when everyone else walks out. True love works to remain in it, even if that means changing, growing, maturing. Love sends, love sacrifices, love stays. Movies and novels will continue to illustrate these attributes of love because we all know that we, when we see them, love is present. 
love sins. For God so loved the world that he gave, that he sent his one and only son. Love sacrifices. Jesus sacrificed himself. He was innocent, yet took the punishment of the guilty. Love stays. Jesus declares, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And surely I am with you even to the end of the age. Why? Because God is love. 1 John 4.19, God is love. The same author who wrote John 3.16 wrote 1 John 4.19, God is love. God is love. Three little words, perhaps the most beautiful three words you could ever hear. What are the three most beautiful words you could hear? Perhaps it's, I love you. Maybe, I forgive you. It's a boy. It's a girl. We've ordered pizza. Mine would be Chiefs win championship. May it be so in Jesus' name. But God is love. Maybe the most beautiful of all three words. The DNA of the divine is love. You want friends or family to become Christians. Show them that God is love by the way you live. You are not called to make a huge fluorescent sign and take it to places where there will be thousands of people to proclaim God's love for them. No, God's not asking you to do that. Show them that God is love by the way that you live and the way that you love. And God is not asking for us something of us that he hasn't already done himself, right? There was once a carpenter who did not overcharge for his work. There was once a physician who healed the sick for free. Once there was a liberator who freed people from their suffering. Once there was a man who fed people at no charge. And do you know what we did to him? We crucified him. There will be times as a Jesus follower that you'll feel unappreciated and taken for granted. You will not feel as loved as you should be. And when that happens, you should love others anyway. A.W. Tozer says that what comes into your mind when you think of God is the most important thing about you. If your God is judgmental, you will be judgmental. If your God is full of wrath and punishment, your life will bear that fruit as well. The second part of this six words, first six words of John 3.16. For God so loved the world. World. When we often think of world now, it evokes images of people of all different kinds of races dressed in their traditional clothing, singing and dancing in their traditional dance. When John wrote, For God so loved the world, he didn't know there was over 7,151 languages. He didn't know there were places like Australia, uh, North or South America. The word world here did not symbolize the grand diversity that comes to mind today. No, the connotation here is not of how the goodness of the world, but the evil in the world, which makes it all the more scandalous. For God so loved the world. For God so loved not just me and you. You guys are pretty good. I, I'm a pretty decent guy. Your family, I'm sure they're awesome. Okay? For God so loved them, yeah, for sure. That's not scandalous, okay? That's not radical. That's not supernatural. It's for God so loved the world. God so loved our enemies. Matthew Ponsolet was a young man in Louisiana in the early 1980s. 
He got in with the wrong crowd and he was out with one of his friends and they encountered a young couple parked in a car at Lover's Lane. They ordered them out, raped the young woman, and then killed them both. Matthew Ponsolet is arrested and he's placed on death row. There's a Catholic nun named Sister Prejean who decided that she was going to visit the prison and get to know some of the prisoners on death row. And there she encounters Matthew Ponsolet and begins to learn his story. This narrative is retold in the 1995 film, Dead Man Walking with Sean Penn and Susan Sarandon. Sister Prejean, as I think you can understand, is not welcomed by the parents of those slain teenagers that Matthew Ponsolet killed. And at one point she decides to go out and meet the parents of Hope, the young woman who was killed. The photo on the screen is the photo still of the actors of the 1995 film in the moment when they're talking with Sister Prejean. When she first comes and knocks on the door, they misinterpret what has happened. And this is how their dialogue goes. Mr. Percy says, so what made you change your mind? Change my mind? What made you come to our side? She says, I wanted to come and see if I could help y'all and pray with you. Thank you. She continues, but he asked me to be his spiritual advisor, to be with him when he dies. And what did you say? That I would. We thought you changed your mind. We thought that's why you were here. No. How can you come here? How can you do that? How can you sit with that scum? Mr. Percy, I've never done this before. I'm trying, I'm trying to follow the example of Jesus who said that every person is worth more than their worst act. This is not a person, this is an animal. No, I take that back. Animals don't rape and murder their own kind. Matthew Ponsolet is God's mistake. And if you wanna hold the poor murderer's hand, you wanna comfort him when he dies, there wasn't anybody in the woods to comfort our daughter when those two animals pressed her face to the grass. It's hard to read those words. If you have ever been so enraged, so filled with anger, filled with such hatred towards a person or a people, then you have a friend in the Bible because there are prayers and songs from people who have been there too. And though it is understandable and perhaps even unbearable, I must say, to remain in that place is not healthy. To forever remain in a place of hatred and longing for the destruction of our enemies is simply a place that we cannot live forever. It destroys your soul. And it might cost you more than that. If we read John 3.16 and we only go so far as his love for me and for people like me, then we haven't gone far enough. If we read for God so loved the world, but the world looks like it's a small world at Disneyland, good and nice and peaceful and everyone in perfect harmony, then we are not understanding or taking God's love far enough. It is not tame. It is not neat. It's scandalous. What comes into your mind when you think of God is the most important thing about you. Love is God sending his only son to people 
you hate. We'll end our time together today with some inspiration from my one and only son. His name is Dex, and he's nine. And when he was in second grade, he brought home this for Valentine's Day. I'll read it now. Love is my favorite thing. Love is about being kind. Love is about helping people that need help. Love is about sharing things with people. Love is about finding things for people. Love is about saying thank you and you're welcome. Love is about hugging people that love you. May it be so. God, we thank you that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Thank you for that, Jesus. May we turn to you in your name. Amen. I want to thank you so much for joining us at Prodigal Church at Fresno Online. Uh, next week, we continue our journey through John 3.16, and in two weeks, it's Super Sunday. Uh, Lord willing, my favorite team will be playing in that game, but uh, we're going to be having a ton of fun, and we've got food trucks and a salsa competition and all, a football-themed service um, where everyone's going to be wearing their jerseys. It's just going to be a ton of fun. We invite you to come out. If you've never joined us in person here in Fresno, California, we would encourage you to come out. It's going to be a blast. We will have an amazing week. Peace in Ukraine.